nigga live right now, man. It's going down, excited for the season. You know, we coming off a playoff win. I mean, you know, we had a couple wins. Winning game four, at least pride-wise, made me feel good because you don't ever want to get swept. I'm indifferent to him, whether or not he signs it. I'll be uh, hitting Milwaukee for the next five years. If you ask me, can the Bucks win game five? I put it at 40% confidence, yes. To think that, that a season is championship or bust is is um, certainly not the way we've approached it. At this point, we don't know what's going to happen. You can get game six. You can steal it. Championship or bust. Winning game six and seven. Championship or bust. I don't think they're going to win the whole series, but... There is no enjoyment with this team. Hello, and welcome to the Brew Hoop Podcast, episode 99. I'm Adam Paris, co-managing editor of brewhoop.com, and while I'm not joined by Riley Feldman or Kyle Carr, who are enjoying some family time this week, I am thrilled, thrilled to be joined by other Brewhoop contributors, Van Fayez and Andrew Goodman. Fellas, how are we doing? I know that we're we're still dealing with the Bucks loss, but you know, just in general, how are how are things in your lives? You know, I'm I'm pretty good, man. The weather in Wisconsin is just outstanding. I know both of you aren't here, but it's hot and sunny and uh that's what i like as long as i have air conditioning which i do so things could be a lot worse how about y'all yeah i'll (laughs) i'll echo that sentiment from van except here in beautiful arizona we're up to the triple digits we're we're at 100 right now so in about a month it's going to be just unbearable 115 plus for a month straight but like van said so long as you have air conditioning all is forgiven and you know this is a time of year in arizona where you're really only leaving the house to get the essentials like a grocery or if you're still commuting to work. So, you know, from here on out until the summer ends, it's just going to be me cooped up at home with the AC blasting. <laughs> well, that doesn't sound too bad as long as the AC doesn't give out or anything like that. Oh, yeah, I'm no kidding. You know, talking about talking about cooling off, the Bucks certainly did yesterday, losing 115 to 107 in, against the Brooklyn Nets. By far their worst performance of the playoffs so far. Certainly disappointing. The final score... Makes it look a little bit closer than it was, especially if you look and see um, Thanasis was plus 11 in his four minutes on the floor. So uh, kudos to him for giving some some great effort there on the end. But, you know, running down some of the scores here, guys, I mean, Giannis had 34 points, 11 rebounds, four assists, five turnovers. Um, Chris had Drew, Chris and Drew had really tough nights. Uh, but I think I do want to start with the, the storyline right from the outset, which was James Harden basically going out less than a minute into the game. Mm-hmm. Van, completely unexpected. We've been talking the whole week about how the Bucks are going to deal with all three of the Nets players, and then all of a sudden Harden leaves the game. You know, what, what were you thinking? What was your reaction as, as, as that happened? So one of the first things I thought about uh, was how in our little pre- uh, playoff preview uh, roundtable that we did before the Miami series, I had mentioned, um, you know, I don't think that the – the Bucks can beat the Nets unless one of those three stars is missing multiple games with injury. Um, now, I got swept up in this wave of optimism that uh, <laughs> uh, seemed to take over uh, some of the Bucks fan base and the the Brewhoop uh, staff after uh, the Miami series. And, you know, like they, they looked great. I think uh, that was a, a human thing to do, but also... Um, I mean, it's Brooklyn's really good. Brooklyn has the best offense in NBA history uh, in terms of offensive rating. Now, the Bucs are probably in that top, I would say, 15 or 20, I think. Um, I forget, but I heard something about 
these offensive ratings this year uh, are like some of the highest ever recorded. Um, and so the Bucks have a great offense too, but uh, no matter how good they are, it's like you'd have to keep up with those three stars. Losing James Harden all of a sudden gave me this new boost of confidence, uh, you know, 40, what was it, 43 seconds into the game? Um, because it really, I mean, he, I, I watched the replay, like he, he pulls it going up for um, a lay-in and he immediately comes down and just slows to a trot um, around the basketball stanchion and um He's then there's an immediate timeout and we just see him walking to the locker room and I'm thinking what's going on. Um, but he is, it wasn't, there wasn't anything very obvious until you saw him on that replay clutch that right hamstring, which is the thing that made him miss 20 plus games at the end of the regular season. Now, how that happens uh, to manifest going forward is the question we have to talk about now, because I mean, I haven't seen any updates this morning uh, on his his condition, but he left the arena to go for an MRI immediately. And that's definitely not good news for the Nets. Um, if he's out multiple games, yeah, it does make the series easier to win for the Bucks. But also, as I think Andrew was saying last night, I mean, the, the, the Nets played pretty well after he left. Um, and we'll probably talk about this more, but uh, I think, you know, just his uh, his absence from the game uh, may have helped the Nets defensively. I know we it's easy to dunk on Harden for his defense, and he's not as bad a defender as uh, YouTube and Twitter would tell you. But um, I think last night, like had he been playing, maybe the Bucks have more open shots, for instance. Yeah, I also, you know, I didn't know what was wrong. I just, you know, they panned to James Harden just walking back to the locker room. I'm like, um, you know, maybe he just has to use the restroom or something like that. Who knows? But, you know, then we saw the replay. He went, to, he had a drive to the basket on Drew Holiday. He was grabbing that hamstring, like you said. And anytime I feel like a player injures himself and, you know, just immediately escorts themselves out of the game is never really a sign to be optimistic, especially when you... um coping with the fact that he also, like, you know, Van said, left the arena pretty, pretty hastily got an MRI. So I don't think that's necessarily um, optimistic for the Nets. But here is where it could be a blessing in disguise for Brooklyn, because the Bucks had all this week of prep preparing for the Brooklyn Nets to have James Harden, Kevin Durant, and Kyrie Irving. But then that go all goes by the wayside, you know, 40 seconds into the game. And now they kind of have to throw a little bit of their game plan, both offensively and defensively. And they're going to have to sort of scheme towards these Brooklyn role players who, you know, might not be that great on paper. But let's be honest, these guys that came in, Nick Claxton, Mike James, they all made a huge impact. And, you know, I caught a lot of flack on the Ruhoop Twitter for saying that James Harden, you know, going out was sort of a blessing in disguise because, you know, it really was in my opinion, because like like I said, he when he left with the injury, you know, these guys really stepped up and it looked like the Bucks were a little flummoxed on both ends of the floor. You know, on, they were a little confused on what to do without James Harden. It was, it's interesting because it did, I, I did think a little bit about that as well, Andrew, where it was sort of the, the epitome of, okay, Bud has been planning for this week. He's got this game plan. We're starting PJ Tucker. Even we're going all defense. All of a sudden it gets thrown into turmoil. How are you going to be able to adjust in game? Which is always something which, you know, is certainly not one of our favorite things about Bud is, is in game adjustments or anything. So mm -hmm. 
the weird thing to me about the the flow of this game was the Bucks seemed to be doing okay. They missed a ton of threes in the first quarter. I thought their offense still looked pretty good. Like they had some flow to it. Obviously they had eight offensive rebounds, which was a, a, a massive impact in just that first, first quarter alone. But then it seemed like partway through the second quarter, they, they seemed to kind of lose the thread and the, and the offense started to fall apart. They certainly weren't getting the kind of shots that they were getting before, um, you know, whether that was, Claxton playing pretty good, solid defense on the other end. Um, but it just stood out to me, Van, is just the amount of difficulty that just got people like Chris. Chris obviously could find a shot, but the amount of shot, the, the way that Brooklyn made some Milwaukee shots look difficult was very surprising to me as the game went on. Yeah, I we we saw them very quickly establish the, the box that is established their uh, presence down low, which we wanted them to, because uh, this is uh, a, a Brooklyn team that's small and doesn't really protect the rim. They're not playing DeAndre Jordan, who is the only one who could credibly do that. Um, but in that second quarter, um, I, I think I, I'm looking at, I'm looking at some of the stats. I mean, it was 33 to 29 that quarter, um, but it is where things really started to unravel obviously like uh, what three four points kind of of that bucks total came right at the end with that uh brooke lopez uh and one gift uh on that continuation play at the buzzer um but uh the bucks offensively um there wasn't a huge difference between them and brooklyn as i look at the numbers right now uh in terms of how they shot and everything i think the main difference and I mean, I don't, we're going to talk about this more, but uh, I mean, Kyrie Irving had 11 points in the quarter. Uh, he made five of his 10 shots. Um, Kyrie Irving towards the end of the game, maybe, you know, his, his numbers didn't look quite as efficient, but uh, he was making all these very difficult shots. And meanwhile, the Nets were forcing, as you said, Adam, forcing the Bucks into a lot of very difficult shots. Um, they weren't really getting any good looks after that first quarter from uh, outside just you know which is was kind of the problem all night but uh again uh just not having any good looks inside either um and it manifested itself like you know in people like drew missing bunnies and um maybe just not taking very uh efficient like uh, or Maybe efficient's the wrong word because a three-pointer is an efficient shot, but when it's early in the shot clock and it's from someone like Giannis, it's not necessarily an efficient basketball play. Um, but it allowed that uh, – Kyrie Irving played that entire quarter. Um, Jeff Teague was in there at the start of the quarter, and that was a big problem, uh, as I'm sure we'll discuss. And uh, it allowed him, I think, to get going. And meanwhile, uh, even with Brooklyn's uh, – kind of B team playing a lot of minutes, like you know, a lot of Mike James, and a lot of uh, Bruce Brown. Um, they were able to somehow uh, just completely uh, dry up any sort of good looks that the Bucks were previously generating within, you know, 15 feet of the rim, like they may have in the first half. Um, also turnovers were a big part of that. I mean, the Bucks just trying to force things down low with bad passes. Right. And I just want to go back to Adam, you touched on the first quarter and I thought the first quarter was very encouraging uh, offensively for the Bucks. I really liked 
how they were using Giannis as a role man. This is something they used, of course, throughout the game, but I was really encouraged with how they used it in the first quarter to, you know, exploit some mismatches. Giannis got, you know, a lot of easy looks, some dunks and layups. Also, I really liked how they were exploiting the mismatch down low with Brooke Lopez, who also did a great job on the offensive glass. I think he only had, he was only credited for five offensive rebounds. It felt like he had somewhere close to 10 with how he was um, tipping out missed shots. But here, I think things started to go awry in the second quarter. I think the Bucks got a little caught up with how Brooklyn played. You know, like you have KD coming down, you know, doing some dribbles crossovers in these pull-ups, Kyrie doing the same thing. So I think the Bucks got a little, you know, flummoxed by that again. And they sort of, Brooklyn, they try to play Brooklyn basketball where there was a lot less ball movement, a lot more ISO. You know, Chris Middleton just couldn't buy a bucket even if when he was open, he was missing. And I also thought, you know, Brooklyn did a great job of kind of making him uncomfortable even in the spots where Chris Middleton is comfortable. And like Van said, Jeff Teague being in there, you know, it just shows how important Dante DiVincenzo is in a series when you're playing against, you know, a team with the athleticism like the Brooklyn Nets. And I really wonder how things would have worked out if Dante was healthy. You know, I, I don't think Dante is necessarily going to tilt the needle in, you know, the Bucks' favor. But when you have a guy as athletic as Dante who can switch multiple positions and also hit a high percentage of three-pointers, it would have gone really long way yesterday considering the fact that the Bucks just couldn't buy a bucket to save their lives. Yeah, that... Uh... Yeah, the Jeff Teague, we can get into the Jeff Teague of it. So let's talk a little bit about, obviously, I mean, as long as he's come up a few times. So he plays 14 minutes in this one. Obviously, we didn't see him play. I think he maybe only played, what, five, five minutes or so in the Miami series. So we really we really saw rarely any bit of Jeff Teague in there. Um, I think the, the main thing I'm curious about is just the overall Bud's approach to his actual lineups and patterns in this one. So we saw a lot of the night where... There were definite periods where both Giannis and Brooke were off the floor, which was kind of strange, felt a little weird. Um, but o- overall, Bucks still did a pretty good job protecting the rim. The one place that Brooklyn killed them was in in floater range, short mid range. If you look, they shot, they hit like 16 of 27 shots from there. So uh, clearly they were able to hit some of those shots in that location that Miami was not hitting in that series. Uh, putting in P.J. Tucker... Personally, I thought it's made a lot of sense when they had the big three out there. I, I liked them being able to do, have a really, really switchy one through four and have Lopez on the other end. But it did seem to, I don't know if it, you know, if Bud wanted to do something else, but it seemed to mess a little bit with the front court rotation where you do end up with periods where Giannis and Brooke are off the floor at one time and you need someone else to fill into the depth. So I don't know what, you know, what did you think of, of Bud's approach to his particular lineups he was trying in this one van and in general some of his substitution patterns so i've been uh, ever since they acquired pj tucker i've really been clamoring for uh him and Giannis to be playing together which um this seems like a perfect matchup for uh the way that brooklyn likes to go long stretches with um like kd as their uh largest player out there i mean usually they have uh jeff green who you know, may, may yet play this series, um, uh, operating as like a, a nominal five. Um, and, uh, they didn't have that option tonight. So they were usually doing Nicholas Claxton, but, um, when you have, when you have four, you have four big men that you want playing, you have Burke and Giannis, uh, starting PJ has joined the starting lineup and he's like, you know, he kind of moonlights as a big man. Um, he's, 
uh, what is he like six? He's like six five only, um, but he has the strength and the, the the wingspan to guard people like Kevin Durant. And he did a, I thought, a very fine job on Kevin Durant last night. Uh, and then Bobby Portis, who you have to, I think, in a matchup like this where you have uh, a dangerous uh, scorer from everywhere, all three levels, you have to be pretty careful with how you use him. Um, I think when you try to stagger those guys with Lopez, I think a lot of us were thinking that, you know, maybe he wouldn't see as many minutes this series because of, again, how Brooklyn likes to go small, but uh, obviously, you know, he was the Bucks uh, second leading scorer last night and he was, he was quite good. I mean, uh, 19 points on, on 11 shots. He made eight shots. Um, That's, that's very efficient. Um, only took one three, I think, and uh, he got to the line three times, which is always good too. Uh, interesting. He had zero defensive rebounds, but five offensive rebounds. Uh, I thought it was kind of a funny thing about Lopez. So Lopez is someone who is pretty effective uh, in this matchup potentially, and how you then stagger him with, uh, I'd say, the other non-Giannis bigs, um, becomes it becomes important and then when you throw in this other wrench of while James Harden's not playing and uh you then have to kind of alter your wing rotation too because PJ is and and Chris Middleton are switching on and off with Kevin Durant and and Harden probably too had he been playing um I don't know exactly how you do it I think I give Bud a little bit of a pass because like Andrew was saying Everything got thrown for a loop 43 seconds into the game. Um, I think a bigger issue to me, I mean, Brook Lopez only played 27 minutes. I suppose in this matchup, it would have been nice to see him play a bit more, but it seemed like most of the conversation was about the minutes for the big three guys. Um, And that's probably, these are probably the bigger issues. I personally didn't have a huge issue with how he distributed minutes last night because it was very similar to what we saw in the uh, Miami series, but... um, I don't know. I don't know if it's the correct mix going forward. Uh, certainly, you could take away. I, I was listening to Lockdown Bucks uh, earlier, and Kane was just saying, "Well, take away those fourteen minutes from Jeff Teague and redistribute them to, you know, your top four starters, and then everyone's happy." And it may be as simple as that. You know, Van, I do agree with your point, and you know, I have no, really, don't have any issue with the total minutes played from the big three. You know, there was some garbage time towards <clears throat> the end of the game, and you know, the big three they played over. I think they each played around or over thirty-five minutes, which you know, at the end of the day, is pretty good. So I have no quarrels there. My issue necessarily with these rotations was just the overall timing of when both Brooke and Giannis were off the floor. They were both off the floor when Kevin Durant. And Kyrie Irving were on the floor, which in my opinion is really inexcusable. In my opinion, if you have Kevin Durant or one of Kyrie Irving on the floor, you need to have at least one of one, if not two of your big three out there at all times. So it was a little perplexing to see Giannis, Portis and Brooke Lopez sort of, you know, ride the pine when the Nets were making this run. And I just think the absences in those circumstances, it's just a little too much, especially when you cope with the fact that Jeff Teague. Is playing there, making this run with Jeff Teague on the floor. So it is frustrating watching the Nets go on a run when, you know, the obvious fix is being having, you know, Giannis on the bench when Brooklyn is going on this run. And, you know, I just want to touch on PJ Tucker. I know, Van, you were talking about him um, 
a few minutes ago, I think PJ Tucker, you know, like you said, he did a great job. There's only really so much you can do when going against, you know, someone who's not human like Kevin Durant with that size and reach. He's a, he's unguardable, but PJ Tucker did get the best best of him a few possessions. I forgot if it was the first or second quarter where KD was um, bringing the ball up the floor and, you know, he tried to do this uh, behind the back or between the legs um, crossover dribble. And, you know, PJ Tucker picked his pocket, which led to an easy fast break bucket, which was nice to see. But I wonder if they're maybe asking a little too much of PJ Tucker. I think he played around. 27 or 28 minutes I just wonder if it's you know too much of it too much to ask for him to you know defend Kyrie Irving that much and you know if he's not he got a you know decent amount of open looks from deep I think he maybe hit one or two but if he's not consistently you know hitting those shots making Brooklyn Brooklyn pay it's it's not going to be helpful for the Bucks you know regardless if James Harden is playing or not if I can just piggy off that uh with with coverage I you said uh having Tucker on uh Kyrie Irving uh, you maybe you meant Kevin Durant. Oh yeah, I meant, did I say yeah. that? I meant Kevin but, Durant on Kevin Durant. Oh, right, yes, PJ on Kevin right. Durant. Right, and that was as we knew going to be. Uh, it was <laughs> announced soon before the game that that was going to be the primary defensive assignment on him. Um, I think it's interesting. Last year against Miami, we hardly saw Giannis play on Jimmy Butler at all. Like maybe five minutes out of those five games or something like that. Meanwhile, last round. Giannis is on him almost all of the series and uh, was very successful in shutting him down. I mean, Jimmy Butler had uh, was just kind of absent uh, for most of that series outside of one half. And I was thinking coming into this series, yeah, like most of us, we were thinking Pat Connaughton would get the start at the off guard. And then um, you kind of figure, okay, like, Drew is probably going to be checking James Harden, uh, maybe switching on to Kyrie, um, either one. And then maybe Chris Middleton is getting uh, a lot of minutes on on James Harden, too. Giannis seems like uh, a very clear choice to be guarding Kevin Durant, uh, especially when P.J. Tucker isn't in. And Giannis last night spent a lot of time on Kyrie Irving, which wasn't necessarily like I don't think it went poorly necessarily, um, but I don't think that's the best use of Giannis defensively. Um, the defense wasn't really the issue last night. Uh, obviously, the shooting was the main issue. But uh, I'm not sure. And Drew Holiday was having actually quite a bit of trouble on uh, Kyrie Irving, unfortunately. But uh, I'm not sure that's quite the answer. Um, and maybe uh, as a way to help out Tucker, you know, especially if uh, you have someone like Joe Harris out there who's very dangerous, is to uh, switch – uh, Tucker onto him and let Giannis go at at Kevin Durant because uh, I think he I think he has the uh, I mean he certainly has the size uh, to do that uh, more so than Drew Holiday or even PJ Tucker. Um, you know, just before we transition real quick, I want to talk about the defense as well. You know, I thought Giannis did have some nice moments defensively where you know he helped out a few times, came out with a few blocks. Um, not really overly disappointed there. I guess I'm more disappointed with the fact that he didn't really guard um, KD more than he should have. You know, like you said, Giannis was effective, super effective on, you know, exclusively defending Jimmy Butler in the last series. But for me, it was really discouraging to watch both Middleton and Drew Holiday struggle defensively. We know Drew Holiday's a stalwart defensively, but I also felt whenever Drew Holiday did defend well, you know, KD or Kyrie, they were just hitting these really tough shots. So it was, it was really a no-win situation, but, you know, just some of these plays where, both Middleton and Drew Holiday either overhelping or falling asleep on the weak side, just leaving, you know, Joe Harris open 
really discouraging. But at the same time, you know, credit to Brooklyn. They zipped the ball around and they definitely, you know, effectively moved the ball and got, they worked for these open shots. It's not like, you know, the Bucks just gave up defensively. They were really making the Bucks scramble on the perimeter. It's a great point, Andrew. I think, I think in the beginning, <clears throat> it was a lot of Brooklyn hitting really, really tough shots. And then as the game started to wear on, you could see the, the execution of, of switching just did not seem to be there at the level that it was in the Miami series for a lot of, you could see them, you know, they're a beat slow on a switch and all of a sudden they have a guy, you know, Mike James is open for a three or whatever. And obviously you saw the really good ball movement late by ball, but by Brooklyn, which is sort of like all of our, I would say personally, my like worst fear. I just didn't, I wanted them to get into isolation ball and let them sort of fall, fall prey to that, which as you said earlier, Andrew, the Bucks kind of started falling prey to that, which was uh, rather intriguing, but yeah, defensively, it just didn't seem like they necessarily had the same, you know, crispness switchability and, and, you know, the, it seemed like their game plan, maybe their game plan was thrown into a, thrown a little astride by the fact that they didn't have these three primary ball handlers that they were trying to guard. But uh, certainly was there was more stuff from this game that reminded me of the Bucks' regular season defense um, than there was in the Miami series where, where I thought, oh, okay, they really seem to have clicked here. Uh, but but this one reminded me a lot more, man, of stuff we would see in the regular season. And they still played, pre- I mean, they still played pretty well defensively. But there was definitely stuff in there that that stuck out to me. I think you hit the nail on the head with uh, the ball movement because uh, Miami, uh, okay, Miami is I think was ranked like they were they were nineteenth or something in offensive rating this season. Um, Miami clearly not as good of a team this year as they were in the bubble in twenty twenty, uh, but also do not have the uh, ball handlers and. Also, don't really run the scheme that Brooklyn does where, um, you know, like you said, they're like Andrew said, they're whipping the ball around and putting the bucks in rotation. And that is uh, a problem you saw uh, with the bucks in the regular season against opponents like um, I, I remember seeing it against Phoenix, for example, or or Utah, like teams that have really great perimeter shooters and also uh, great passers uh, to get the ball to them, uh, which Miami has really uh, far less of. Um, I don't think what one thing that's been encouraging to me about the Bucks uh, defensively this postseason is outside of that first game, um, the overtime win against Miami. They really have not been giving up many threes, uh, which is the the Achilles heel of that defense, as we know for the last several years. Um, first game in Miami or against Miami, uh, fifty point uh, fifty three point attempts by the Heat. The next three games, twenty eight, thirty two. 33 and that's you know well below uh the the heat season average and the um bucks season average of three pointers allowed uh so and last night uh, brooklyn took 40 they shot uh they, they made 15 of them so a pretty uh a, a night where the bucks weren't burned from the three-point line like we would see in the regular season uh but they did have trouble with Obviously, Joe Harris and, and Blake Griffin, who I'm surprised hasn't come up yet uh, because he's he he, he had, uh, you know, probably his I mean, maybe his best game. I'm sure his best game is a Brooklyn net, but probably the best game he's had uh, in a number of years, uh, just given the circumstances and everything. So um, and it had to do a bit with sticking with that zone drop and letting uh, Blake just bomb away from the outside, which you I mean, some people say you might live with, but, you know, Blake Griffin's 
a decent three point shooter. And um, the Bucks are always prone to leaving guys just totally open who are maybe you don't think of as as great three point shooters, um, especially bigs. But when you let them just spot up there and you help and you collapse in uh, or you you drop very deeply in on uh, like, you know, uh, like Brooke Lopez often does, uh, it's going to just let people stand out there and wait for a shot that they're probably going to make. Um, so, yeah, that was I, those were, I think, the main elements of what I saw that were a little bit too regular season like. But also, um, I think this was a, a much better defensive effort than I was uh, than I would have expected uh probably like a month or two ago during the regular season. Um, right. Yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't mean no, to cut you I'm off, done. but I'm, I'm a firm believer, kind of echoing your point, I'm a firm believer in the premise that, you know, these guys, these guys, they're in the NBA. You know, you leave a shooter open in the NBA, they're going to make shots, regardless if it's Blake Griffin or Mike James, whoever it is, you leave an open open shooter and the open arc, you know, just let them spot up beyond the arc. They're going to hit it. You know, and I'm, I'm typically fine with letting Blake Griffin, I, he, he shot a lot of threes, you know, obviously he made the Bucks pay. You know, I, I can typically live with that, but, you know, anytime you give an NBA player open space, you know, the odds are they're going to they're gonna knock the shot down. You know, I think it's funny, you know, to bag on Mike James because, like, we really heard much of Mike James before, you know, probably not, but he, he torched the Bucks and the Bucks were, you know, letting him shoot and he made him pay. And, you know, I was just waiting for someone to bring up Blake Griffin, who has sort of evolved into, I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent here, who has sort of evolved as my least favorite player in all of basketball, <laughs> you know. There's there's just, there's no doubt that injuries have absolutely robbed Blake Griffin of the prime of his career. Absolutely not denying that 100% he has been robbed of prime years because of some terrible, terrible bad luck injuries. But, you know, for him to sort of, you know, mail it in in Detroit and sort of, what I feel is kind of a little over-exaggerate, you know, pity party your injuries, <laughs> force your way to a super team or you know, a contender of your choice. And then here he is in game one, diving on the floor for loose balls, you know, like dunking the basketball, which he didn't do in Detroit. And then, you know, he's stepping over Thanasis in garbage time, which if you remember when him and Bruce Brown were both Chris on Detroit. Middleton, yeah. He did yeah, he did it over mm-hmm. Chris Middleton. Years going, Giannis did not like that. So I wonder if, you know, that shouldn't be what gets the Bucks going, you know, of course. Um, but I wonder if this is something where, you know, Blake Griffin sort of regrets doing that because I just don't think Blake Griffin has earned the right to do that, especially if you mail it in, force your way to a contender of your choice. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, you know, I did this super, you know, secret pyrotherapy <laughs> like Kobe did in Germany. And you know, all of a sudden it's totally fine. You know, it just... It really frustrated me to say that. I, I was, I couldn't, I, I, I said something in fact, it's like, wow, he really was sandbagging like the last year or so. I mean, obviously the, the injuries were bad, but I mean, I just never really believed that. I, I wasn't too surprised by Blake Griffin last night, like having a, a good game because he's, he's still a pretty good player. I mean, he was only two years ago. He was a, I think a third team all NBA. Um, he had one of his best seasons. Obviously the injuries were really bad and robbed him of a lot of time but like uh now that he's just a role player on a championship team like this is where he can actually like i mean he, he can be a pretty effective player i think we saw that last night but yes i think 
I think it's clear he was he was sandbagging for a bit, which is is funny, but also you know he's. <laughs> I'm sure Andrew will agree. He's kind of. Uh, it's almost like he's reinvented himself as a little bit of a dirty player because he was. I never thought he was in in LA or anything, but it seems like just from coming to Detroit, maybe it was, I don't know if it was something in the first year he was there, uh, but it seemed like uh, in 2019, when that incident happened with, with Giannis and Drew in Detroit, um, it's like he's had something personal against the Bucks. I mean, he didn't even play in that playoff series that they, or maybe he played like a few minutes. He was, you know, really banged up. Him back for like the last two games on a meniscus tear, and Giannis still owned him. Right, but yeah, the overarching theme here is like, what does he have against Blake the Bucks? <laughs> I don't know. I think it's because the Bucks historically, like ever since Bud took over, have just absolutely like manhandled the Pistons. Yeah. Like these games like aren't even close. No. But the overarching theme here is if Blake Griffin is out playing <laughs> both Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, also Bobby Portis, Brent Forrest, Pat Connaughton, then you know the Bucks should just pack their bags for Cancun because they're not going to win games if that's the case. That's a dark, dark thing. Oh, well, <laughs> yes, but a, a very good tangent. Thank you, Andrew, for, for reminding us of Blake Griffin's place among Bucks fandom. Let's talk, let's talk about the role players. I mean, we just saw, we just saw a series where Bryn Forbes outscored Jimmy Butler. We loved, I mean, that was a great stat to just dance on his grave with. I mean, that's probably like the, the pinnacle of, of Bucks optimism right there after that win. That was fantastic. Um, he goes one of five for this one, five points, two rebounds, one assist. Can't really get his shot going. Bobby Portis had some offensive rebounds, but only six points for him. You know, all in all, as you were saying, Andrew, all of the Bucks role players were roundly outplayed by almost all of the Nets role players. I mean, Nicholas Claxton gave them better defensive minutes than what the Bucks were getting from anyone else. Mike James, 30 minutes. I mean, this guy was in Europe for most of the year, only played like 13 games with the Nets. And he playing was in Russia. Yeah, sorry. Excuse me. Yeah, in Russia. He wasn't even Europe. He was Pardon in me. Russia. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no disrespect to Russia. But like, he was in like Siberia. <laughs> like, you know, when I heard Mike James, I thought it was that guy who played for the Chicago Bulls and the Phoenix Suns for like you. you know you know exactly who I'm talking about the Boston Celtics. I was like, this guy's still the league. He must be like 55 years old. <laughs> There's so many Here Mike Jameses. I don't. I can't keep track of them. Right. Here we are getting roasted by Mike James in game one of an Eastern Conference, you know, semifinal playoff. But yeah, the role players for the Bucks, you know, I thought Pat Connaughton was actually okay. He came up with a few steals defensively, obviously, really didn't do much offensively. But if he, I think the Bucks in this series, they need more of him defensively with his athleticism being able to switch. So if he's not necessarily, you know, making it rain from deep like Bryn Forbes, which obviously is not going to happen, it's fine. But here, you know, my biggest concern in this series is it this is going to be high scoring affair, but at the same time as I'm not really sure this is a great series for a guy like Bryn Forbes. Obviously he has a lot of um, deficiencies defensively. He gives a lot of effort on that end, you know, despite his size, which is, which is commendable. But I just wonder if this is really a series where he's going to have much success. And, you know, I thought Brooklyn defended him very well in all of his shots, even in garbage time, first, second quarter, everything was contested think one of his open shots he ended up airballing in the corner which which was discouraging and you know I also thought Bobby Portis was going to have a bigger impact and you know PJ Tucker talks about the alpha the quote-unquote dog mentality and this is what you know the Bucks brought in Bobby Portis for and we just we just didn't see that and you know seeing Blake Griffin you know gets die for that ball and you know pick Bobby Portis's pocket there that was very discouraging you know to see the Bucks kind of get 
punched in the mouth. I like how the Bucks came out in the first quarter, but you know, the Bucks just repeatedly got punched in the mouth and, you know, it looked like they just kind of folded, you know, granted shots just weren't falling offensively, which, you know, isn't a recipe for success, but I was just a little discouraged that, you know, once Brooklyn made that run in the third quarter, they the Bucks did a nice job of bouncing back um in that second quarter where, you know, it looked like Brooklyn was going to pull away. But, you know, once Brooklyn came out in that third quarter, kind of went a little showtime. We had that um, Kyrie, you know, sort of over the shoulder um, pass to KD. I feel like that was that was kind of it. Yeah, they lost the game in that that third quarter. Um, I think there was hmm, I don't remember if it was exactly in the if it was in the second or the third. But um, uh, I mean, the, the tone was set for this game in the, in the second quarter, regardless. And uh, just uh, there was a sequence where uh, Drew Holiday missed. I think he missed two free throws. Uh, he missed at least one. I think he missed two uh, at the line. He somehow got the offensive rebound. Um, he put up the shot and missed it. And then I'm pretty sure I may be conflating a couple things, but then immediately got pushed to the other end for uh, Kyrie in the corner. who made a corner three and it went from being a game that could have been like at five points if he'd made a couple of those free throws, or if he even made the bucket off the offensive rebound to an 11 point game. Um, it was just an example of kind of uh, uh, there was a lot of out hustling going on, obviously Blake Griffin, like going for loose balls and stuff like that. But Brooklyn definitely played like they wanted it more. Maybe it was because Harden was hurt and they felt like they had to, um, you know, they really had, they really had some urgency because of that. But um, getting back to the role players, I mean, uh, first of all, I want to apologize to Mike James. He, He did play, he did not play in Siberia. He played in Moscow in a, on a team that was, that's that's the team I've heard of in that league. So respect to, to Mike James. But uh, the other Mike James, I, I looked him up to, uh, 2005 Milwaukee Buck. I did not I, I did not remember that. Uh, the the older one who is now, uh, in fact, 45 years old. <laughs> um, but back to the <laughs> current Bucks role players. Uh, I think at, at the beginning of the year, I remember thinking with. Bryn Forbes and Pat Connaughton. I was a fan of the Bryn Forbes signing. And I I just remember thinking at the beginning of the year, it's like, okay, Bryn Forbes, he'll shoot threes. He's a good three-point shooter. Obviously, that came true. Um, Pat Connaughton became a much better three-point shooter this year, uh, is a good rebounder, is good at cutting to the hoop, um, can occasionally, you know, pick some people's pockets, jump some passing lanes, etc. cetera. Uh, but I thought at the beginning of the year, maybe they were a little bit, like they, they were a little bit uh, they were a little bit exclusive of each other. Um, I figured by the time the playoffs happened, and again, I was sort of at the beginning of the year thinking about like, oh well, the Bucks have DJ Augustine and other people who need to play in the playoffs, which obviously isn't happening now. But I figured whoever of Bryn Forbes and Pat Connaughton is making shots, that's the one who should be seeing minutes. Um, right now, uh, obviously, both last series, both of them were making shots. They were uh, the two best three-point shooters the Bucks had in that series. Uh, last night, they were combined uh, from deep. They were, let's see, well, they were just uh, one for six from deep. Um, and Brins came very late. It came in the fourth. I, full disclosure, I like turned off the game about halfway through the fourth quarter, just thinking, all right, <laughs> um, I know enough about this game to do a podcast on it tomorrow already. Uh, so as Andrew was saying about how, okay, should, how, how, how much should Bryn Forbes play in this series? Um, same thing you say for Pat Conta. I mean, it's basically just like they need, the, the Bucks need shooting. The Bucks are, 
Um, they were a great three-point shooting team in the regular season. They have not been a great three-point shooting team in the postseason. Brooklyn was a better three-point shooting team in the regular season and is continuing to be a good three-point shooting team in the postseason. Um, the Bucks need people in there who aren't bricking shots from deep, um, especially off their bench. So I think between those two guys, um, I mean, you have to ride whichever one is a bit hotter. Um, and then whichever one isn't, and hopefully, like, you know, that, that person could still give you some decent minutes, um, especially defensively, because, you know, Pat Connaughton can play a bit of defense, and Brent Forbes somehow played some defense last series, too. Uh, it's, it's tough though, because the guard depth is so, is so down now, because I think if Dante DiVincenzo were healthy last night, um, I don't know how many minutes that like a cold Pat Connaughton or cold Brent Forbes would have been seeing. Right. Not necessarily, you know, the biggest fan of Bud's rotation yesterday, but there was only, or on Saturday, there's just only so much you can do when your guard depth is depleted. Like, you know, his hand is being forced, you know, he has to, has to figure out how to do something without Dante DiVincenzo, who, you know, like I said earlier, is a big loss, um, especially when you're playing a team as athletic as the Brooklyn Nets with so many, so many weapons. But man, I just want to go back to your point you made earlier that, you know, Brooklyn's role players played out of their mind. You know, I've always been a big Bruce Brown fan, great, great perimeter defender, you know, we just saw that sense of urgency from these guys like Claxton, Brown, um, and Mike James. You know, once Harden went out, they knew they had to step up. Now, granted, I guess a reason to be optimistic for the Bucks is Chris Middleton, he'll never, probably never shoot 6-23 again in a playoff series. We know he can elevate his game in the playoffs. You know, Drew Holiday, like you said, there was this one bunny he missed left-handed that just like rimmed out like eight times, sat on the rim, and then just, you know, popped out, kind of summed up the game. The Bucks are not. I think how many threes did the Bucks made? I think it was like four six. or six on like close to thirty attempts. Six or three. Right, right. So I'm not the biggest fan of saying outlier, but in this case, this game was sort of quote unquote outlier because you know the Bucks aren't gonna just make you know that many threes an entire game. You know, especially with the fact that they're getting the open looks, they're gonna fall. But you know, it all comes down to this: you're gonna win because your top three guys are playing well. And if you're getting production from Giannis and Brooke Lopez, which is great, the fact that they got that, I thought Brooke Lopez was great in game one. I thought that was super discouraging that they got that sort of performance on both ends from Brooke Lopez and they still ended up losing because, you know, you can't have Giannis and Brooke, if they're going to do their thing and Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday are just sort of going to, you know, kind of revert to Eric Bledsoe. No disrespect. No disrespect to Eric Bledsoe. They're going to, they're going to revert to Eric Bledsoe sort of, you know, playoff means it's, that's not good. But like I said, a reason to be optimistic is, you know, the Bucks they're going to have a different game plan now that they know James Harden, you know, I'm no doctor. I don't have my MD, but you know, that did not look like, you know, a one day rub some dirt on it injury. They're going to have, you know, a new game plan. They're going to know how to attack the Nets offensively and defensively a bit better without James Harden. So there is reason to be optimistic going into game two on Monday that, you know, Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton will be better, you know, and it really won't take that much for the both of them to be better, which is why I'm sort of cautiously quote unquote optimistic, but we know optimist optimism in Bucks basketball, historically speaking, hasn't really, you know, boded well, which is why sometimes I am a pessimist because when, you're a pessimist and the worst happens, you're not disappointed. 
Very rational. Very ra- A lot of Bucks fans can relate to that, Andrew. I, I totally get it. It was sort of jarring to me because I've just been riding so high after the Miami win. I was like, okay, I can listen to all my usual podcasts I'll listen to. And now after one loss, I'm like, I don't really need to hear what they have to say about the Bucks right now. I'm, I'm okay. <laughs> I felt the same way. <laughs> um, let's, talk, let's talk about game two. What sort of adjustments we're looking for. You talked about what's, it's interesting thinking about what's sustainable from game one for the Bucks versus what's not sustainable. Probably the six of 30 shooting from three, it's probably not not as sustainable. You you expect Middleton and Holiday to play better. You expect maybe a little better performance from the role players, but you know that's that's probably a little bit in question. I do think we haven't really talked about Giannis much, uh, but I do think his performance is pretty sustainable. He can probably be improved upon as well. I, I think the storyline that before the series that Brooklyn didn't really have any really have anyone to guard Giannis certainly played out in Game One. Um, Sixteen of twenty four. Pretty sustainable shot diet. I felt like two of five from three, he may not do that well every time, but you know, you'll take it. The five turnovers was a little high. In the regular season, he only averaged 2.3 against the Nets, which was really good for him. So uh, hopefully he can get that down a little more, but that seems pretty sustainable. On the Brooklyn side, obviously, you probably don't expect Blake Griffin to play that well again. Probably don't expect Mike James to play that well again. Joe Harris, Joe Harris had kind of just a Joe Harris game. If you're a, if you're a Bucks fan, you should probably be a little bit concerned about that, um, given that they should be so keyed on him. They just had someone in the last series who was a semi-similar profile in terms of a, a really strong shooter. But Joe Harris also was pretty pretty decent at going off the dribble. He showed a few times, too, in that game, which was really impressive. Um, one thing... Yeah, oh, go sorry. ahead, Ben. Uh, well, one thing about uh, Joe Harris as compared to... I assume you're referring to Duncan Robinson. Yeah. Um, he's... Uh, Duncan Robinson is pretty easy guy to scheme against he really like in in that game in the first game uh of the miami series he was wreaking havoc just on those dribble handoffs from bam right at the like at the you know the the wing and the top of the three-point arc um and it took the bucks uh a while to figure that out which was really frustrating but they did and it was uh it was chris middleton who was who was uh who is snuffing those out by uh, going over those screens. And um, towards the end of that game, I mean, uh, I, th- I think in that particular game, uh, Robinson started out, uh, I mean, he made, I think, his first three attempts, and then he ended up maybe seven of 13 or something. A very good night, but as the night went on, um, he started he first started missing those shots, and then he stopped even taking them. And then, of course, the rest of the series, he was a non-factor, and uh, Chris did a great job against him in the bubble last year, and you know he continued to do so this year. Joe Harris is a pretty different player. Um, Joe Harris is a bit more of a, a freelancer. Like they, I, I haven't watched them as much as I've watched the Heat to see what plays they run for him because I'm sure they are running them for him, but it's probably not quite with the same uh, consistency and uh, just. I I think Eric Spolster is a great coach, but. Uh, it's how they use Duncan Robinson maybe isn't always super creative. It works. It it worked. Uh, but Joe Harris has a lot more versatility in the way he can get open for shots and the way they can find him for shots, as we saw with how they would just sling the ball around the perimeter, get the bucks in rotation. Then, then surprise, surprise, it ends up in Joe Harris's hands at the top of the key. And you just think, well, that's <laughs> that's a loss right there. That possession was a total failure. Um, 
So I don't know right now uh, how they can better defend, how they can better deal with Joe Harris, because uh, it seemed like Chris Middleton was getting a lot of the time on him last night. Um, And I brought up earlier, maybe, uh, especially if they're going to keep PJ Tucker in the starting lineup, which I think they should, is maybe trying, and we're also talking about how maybe we should see a bit more Giannis on on Kevin Durant. Uh, How about putting Giannis on, on KD and letting PJ Tucker try to hang with Joe Harris. I obviously PJ Tucker, we know him as like a great on ball defender against uh really great wing scores like, uh, like Kevin Durant. But I think he would also be able to hang with Joe Harris through all those screens out on the perimeter and prevent him from getting open looks. I, I don't know. Maybe this is a totally harebrained idea that, uh, someone would who knows more about basketball than me would be like, no, that's a stupid idea. You want PJ Tucker on Kevin Durant at all times. But uh, Joe Harris is someone that I think we'll have to be worried about for every game as much as we're probably worried about uh, Kyrie Irving, honestly, um, just because he is now like if James Harden's missing any time, he's a very serious focal point of that offense now. Yeah, good point. Good point. And, you know, if James Harden was playing, you know, would this game even be close with the production you're getting from Joe Harris? And that's the thing, Joe Harris playing on a team with, you know, so many superstars, he's going to get the open looks. Really doesn't matter how well the Bucks defend. If Brooklyn is moving the ball as well as they were doing yesterday, rather than, you know, dribble, dribble, you know, pass it to one another, kind of like Jackie Moon in the Flint Tropics, like, oh, I don't want it. You take the ball. No, you have it. Yeah. If Brooklyn is doing that, I think, you know, the Bucks are in some trouble because, like you said, Joe Harris is a very, very different ball player than Duncan Robinson. I think Joe Joe Harris has a pretty decent handle for his size, too. He has a really good floater, as we saw um, in game one. Mid-range, he's solid as well. So, you know, I would have liked to see kind of switching gears a little bit. I would have liked to see a little more Giannis on Kevin Durant, as we talked about. You know, seeing Giannis on Kyrie Irving – was sort of a little strange. Granted, Giannis did have some nice defensive plays. I think he blocked them from behind once or twice. But yeah, you know, like I said, if Brooklyn is moving the ball around like that, there's there's just nothing you could do, especially when you have KD and Kyrie on the floor at the same time. You have so many things to be worried about that, oh, hey, you know, they're moving the ball around. Here's Joe Harris open in the corner from deep. And Adam, I know you brought up Giannis's performance. I just wanted to touch on him. You know, we talked about his first quarter performance you know, a lot to like there. Um, second half, didn't really like how he was initiating a lot of the offense. Granted, he was, him and Brooke Lopez were really the only source of offense at that point. You know, with Middleton and Holiday, you know, going on complete drive spells or disappearing for, you know, certain points in the game. But I just don't think if you have Giannis initiating the offense a lot, it just plays into Brooklyn's hands. And this is a series where you're going to need Giannis to be effective as a role man, which he was in game one. But once you start switching gears, having the ball, Giannis's hands, you know, above the break, initiating the offense, I just don't think that's necessarily a recipe for success. And, you know, when I say this, I know I'm talking, you know, I'm echoing a lot of um, sentiment from Bucks fans is these love the confidence, love the confidence shooting the three. Love it. Don't get me wrong. But these early possession, early, early shot clock possession three-pointers are just killers. I think they should count as turnovers, especially, you know, Giannis, when the Bucks are sort of making this run, he kind of gets into it when he is playing well. He'll rip off a string of, you know, one or two baskets, and, you know, he comes down 
down the court when the Bucks have numbers, you know, trying to get the lead down to single digits. And here he goes just, you know, attempting a three with like 18 seconds left in the shot clock. It, it's it's just a disaster. And this is, you know, the Bucks aren't going to win many games when he's doing that. But this is a series against the Nets where every possession is super valuable because the Nets just have so many ways to kill you. There's a great... Uh... I know I said I wasn't going to talk about baseball, but uh, there's a great analogy I'm going to use with uh, the great baseball manager, Earl Weaver, who would talk about how I use the manager of the uh, Baltimore Orioles for many years, uh, World Series winning manager. If you don't know, he talked about how the most valuable possession you have in a baseball game is your 27 outs because he was very against bunting and giving away outs and just trying to score one run doing small ball type stuff. He would you know try to play mm-hmm. through the three run home run and stuff like that. Um, that's basically what I, I think Andrew's saying right now. I mean, you can play I think you can play at a fast pace without taking these kinds of, uh, these kinds of, uh, rhythm killing, uh, shots. I think when it's coming from someone like, you know, maybe, uh, Bryn Forbes or Chris Middleton, and it's sort of like maybe a heat check thing. Um, you can live with it. Uh, they were doing a lot of that in game two of the Miami series, but uh, those guys were on fire. And also the Bucks were up uh, double digits at that point. When they are down, um, it's a bad idea because you really need to value those possessions when you're, when you're down. If you are trying to go from like an 11 point lead to a 14 point lead, okay, like I'm, I'm fine with Giannis taking one of those shots. Um, depending on the game situation, but uh, <laughs> Jeff Teague at one point, like I know we've been ragging on him a lot, but, and, and I like Jeff Teague, but he, at one point, uh, I think it was, maybe it was in the third quarter, he just kind of dribbled down the court and he did have a decent look at it, but he just dribbled up the court and just jacked up a three, totally bricked. Um, yeah. I mean, it's not the right players who are doing this sort of thing. Usually it's in the regular season. It was always, uh, Giannis and, and, and Dante, it wasn't, uh, you know, their best three point shooters doing that kind of thing. So if they are trying to push the tempo by taking early shot clock threes, how about, uh, you know, using, running that for someone who is a good three point shooter? Uh, I don't know why that's not happening. Anyway, I'm no coach. The pace was really fast in this game. I think I might have seen someone say it was one of the fat, might have been the fastest of the playoffs. But if, if you look, Brooklyn actually played most of the season at around like a mid league pace, like 99.5. Bucks were obviously top three. They played most of the Miami series at a slower pace. It was more at Miami's pace. So it was interesting to see the Bucks really try and run out and, and get those early shots. And maybe part of it was it, the weird thing was it, it did feel like, like you said, you go back to the way, way, way back in the beginning, Andrew it feels like they were playing into Brooklyn's game rather than trying to set up some sets for themselves, which is, which is a strange, strange because technically playing fast is their game, but they actually haven't been fantastic in terms of points per play and transition this year. They love to push it. Um, if you, I was just looking at the stats on off live, re- off live rebounds, the Bucks ran in transition like 50% of the time and scored at a really, really poor rate in game one. So I'm just I'm curious to see what sort of pace these games take because I, I do think although the Bucks like to play fast, I, getting into a, a track meet with a team that has this level of, of shooting uh, and ball distribution um, seems a little scary. Particularly, mainly because you were saying Van, when it, when the Bucks are playing fast because players like Giannis or Jeff Teague are shooting early shot clock threes, 
that's not necessarily productive. If they're playing fast and it's Giannis going downhill before the Nets defense has a chance to, to prime up on him, then that's probably a productive transition possession. But uh, I mean, you know, compare and contrast, I'd be curious, Andrew, this, this game looked semi-similar to game one against Miami. Bucks shoot really poorly from three, but obvious and punish the other team inside, but obviously are able to pull out the victory here in this one shoot really poorly from three kind of get their doors blown off. Uh, I mean, how much do you feel like the difference is, okay, the Bucks make some shots in the next game. They have a lot better chance um, versus, you know, maybe there are a few more structural issues or stuff that you saw in game one from this series that um, have you a little more anxious. Yeah, you know, that was some great stats you brought up about the Bucks. you know, doing poorly in transition. You know, I think it just was a culmination of events that, when you're playing fast, you're in Milwaukee Bucks speaking. When you're playing fast, which is not really necessarily your forte, they like to play fast, but not necessarily something they're you know, super great at. But when you're playing fast from behind, it's it's just not a recipe for success. That's when you get the early shot clock. Giannis threes, you have that Jeff Teague pull up, which was, <laughs> which you know just you know was not, was not fun. That was just not fun to watch. That was just you know that was a great opportunity for the Bucks. I think they were like, it was like 10, 10, nine points. It would have been a huge, huge momentum shot. But, you know, it's just like, I think it just clanks like right off the backboard and then off the back rim. And then Brooklyn gets like a super easy run out. But for the Bucks, they're going to, they're just going to need to play their game, which is to play at their pace, which is fast, but in control. Yesterday, the Bucks played fast, but it never really felt like they were in control. You would have, you know, Giannis come down, you know, like you said, early shot block three. Chris Middleton come down, you know, like try to back down Bruce Brown, you know, chuck up a super, super tough contested shot. Not great. I also thought Drew Holiday, Drew Holiday did some things that I liked, also did some things that I did not like. There were just, for my taste, he has a great step back. Of course, we know how deadly he is with a step back. I just thought there were just a little too many contested step backs for my, for my taste. But for the Bucs, it's just, you have to be calm have to play in control, which, you know, I'm pretty sure the Bucks are sponsored by a brand named Com, which is you know, ironic <laughs> here. Um, you know, <laughs> the, they're just just settle down, play your game. Don't let Brooklyn control the pace. You see KD Kyrie coming down, making these super crazy, beautiful dribble moves. Like, that's not who the Bucks are. Just, you know, continue to share the sugar, you know, get to get to the spots where guys are comfortable, like Chris Middleton. Set, set these guys up for success. Don't just come down, you know, at a frenetic pace down the floor and take the first open shot available. You know, that's not that's not what the Bucks have built their success on the last three years. Shout out to Calm. I have that app on my phone. Um, the sleep stories are pretty nice. Uh, the With Giannis, um, I'm going back to what you said earlier, Andrew, uh, when he's the role man, I, I feel so much more confident in the Bucks' offense. I think uh, it's it's pretty obvious uh, how much better the offense runs when he's, uh, you know, he's he's setting the screen for for Chris Milton usually maybe Drew Holiday sometimes, but uh, also when he initiates and he's I think this was something you brought up in uh, a piece you wrote last week, Adam. Uh, just when he's doing it more from the elbow, um, he's a little bit um, closer into the rim instead of out beyond the arc, and he's got less room there. Uh, I mean, he, he has less room towards the rim, but that's, you know, that's probably a bit better for him. Um, 
the point you brought up was that he is has a less of a there's less of a chance he he commits a charge there and uh Blake Griffin happens to surprise surprise he led the league in charges drawn this year um so these are types of ways that you know the Bucks offense can work um we were seeing some of it I think in in this game um and when you compare it to obviously it's a very easy parallel to make to game one of the Miami series um, where the Bucks actually shot worse from three, um, but you know, they were terrible in each and they weren't, uh, but, but they were, they were still managing to, to, to outscore their opponent uh, largely through, you know, pummeling the ball down low. A, a, another big difference though, still, despite not having any, uh, having a three pointers fall, they were still, shooting jumpers very well chris milton in that game uh let's see uh he was i mean he was he was uh three of nine from deep but uh within the arc uh he made a number of like pretty good uh like his typical kind of mid-range uh 15 foot shots uh he was he ended up inside the arc uh let's see seven of uh, seven of, of 13, which is is pretty good. And most of that was away from the rim. Um, obviously, that didn't happen last night. Um, and he was taking a lot of those similar shots, too. I'm looking at his shot chart, and it was, uh, you know, the only makes he had. Let's see, he was 6 of 23. Um, outside of one 15-foot pull-up, all of his makes were at the rim. Um, on the one hand, it's great to see Chris you know, taking advantage of that because obviously that's going to be there against Brooklyn. But um, when his jumper isn't working, um, that's, I mean, that's the main part of his offensive game. We don't think of him as a rim player. And even when he does it, um, it's, it's uh, not going to be where he is making his, his, his hay. Um, That's always from at least 10 feet out and preferably from beyond the three point line. So, uh, to adjust for, you know, the, the, the next few games, I mean, you have to just, they just have to make more shots. And I'm, I'm curious to, to know what, to hear what you guys think is, I mean, how, how the, the Nets defense we know isn't great. How can the Bucks create better shot opportunities? Because they didn't have a lot of good looks, especially after the first quarter last night. And Brooklyn, Brooklyn's defense was a lot better against Boston, but I don't think we're no one's scared of them. And why are why are Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday not able to get the looks and hit the shots that they're usually like hitting with ease, like the stepbacks, even like difficult shots or contested pull ups like Middleton always hits. What's going on? How do you fix that? Yeah, you know, um, I think out of anyone, Chris Middleton might have, quote unquote, the most trouble just because with, if, you know, we're talking about Harden being out, then this throws Bruce Brown, you know, into heavy workload. And I think Bruce Brown is pretty solid defender. He's long, he's big. I think he can, you know, he can really give Middleton some problems. But yeah, Drew Holiday, that's that's a matchup you got to exploit going against Kyrie. Like, have to take him to the rim. Don't settle for jumpers. And also... I kind of want to change up a little bit. I don't like talking about officiating, but, you know, the Bucks ended up shooting more free throws than the Nets, but 
you know, just like the inconsistencies both ways, you know, with how this game was refereed. I think it was the third quarter where the refs decided like to call, you know, everything against the Bucks, like hand checks and everything. They were being super, you know, super ticky tacky, but then they were also letting a ton of contact, you know, both on Brooke Lopez and Giannis, you know, just totally slide. There was that one that would have given KD, I think it was his fifth foul. Um, Brooke Lopez, you know, had that little floater off the glass at the end of the third quarter, that, which looked like it could have easily been an and one, but whatever, you know, I'm not blaming officiating at all, but you know, when Giannis scores as many as he did, kind of lives in the pain. Granted, even like you said, broken record here, settled for jumpers. But we have a guy like that who's living in the pain, only shooting three free throws, which is the same amount as Nick Claxton. You know, I we it's documented that Giannis doesn't necessarily get the best whistle in the postseason, but it just feels like there was a lot of free throws that both Giannis and Brook Lopez could have easily had more than what they finished with. Yeah, that's. I mean, it's that. It's just so. It's just so hard with that kind of stuff, right? I mean, like, obviously, I think if if the Bucks are attacking inside that much, I think my main my main takeaway was if you see KD with four fouls, you should be going at him inside as as much as possible. Like, I'd love if you get to the free throw line, but like, that's that's the best way that you can force their players not to play forty four minutes if that's what they're going to play in a game. Is just attack a guy inside who's already in foul trouble. So. It, I'd certainly like to see that more, even if it, I, I doubt Giannis will probably have more than three free throws in these other games, but I, I do agree if the Bucks are going to be at the rim this much, it would be nice to see them, uh, you know, get a few more trips to the free throw line. Yeah, I hope that, I, I think maybe one of the biggest things that they can do to improve uh, the outcome in game two is probably just like you've been talking about, uh, hunting out people on Brooklyn, like there are, yeah, a couple good defenders on Brooklyn. Like Kevin Durant is probably their best defender. Nick Claxton can can play some defense. Bruce Brown can play some defense. But uh, the Bucks should be able to hunt these mismatches and exploit them, especially with people like uh, Kyrie Irving and like someone like Mike James or or even Blake Griffin. Um, it, the fact that they weren't able to do that last night was. Uh, it was it was a bit surprising because it seemed like they did that so well against uh, against Miami, like especially going after people like Duncan Robinson and um, maybe uh, Kendrick Nunn or Trevor Ariza. Um, but we didn't see we didn't really see that at all last night. I I I don't know why. Um, that's I think the main that, that that might solve a lot of problems if they're really trying to hunt out guys who maybe are in foul trouble, like you said, or just guys who aren't going to be able to hang with obviously Giannis because no one on the Nets can hang with Giannis, but maybe uh, people who can't hang with Chris Milton or Brooke Lopez or Drew Holiday. But one positive here is that there is some tape that will definitely help the Bucks be better and bounce back in game two, which, you know, is something to look forward to. There are the adjustments as we, you know, sort of move into game two for Monday. Yeah, how are we? Uh, yeah, let's cl- let's close it out here. Any closing thoughts uh, from you, Van, uh, about end of game one? Obviously, you know, if it obviously like always, if it's going to be Bucks and six, you got to lose a couple um, mm-hmm. to get there. So, but it, it's just you just have to get used to the the tenor of a series. Are there any closing thoughts on game one and what you're looking for in game two? Uh, I think kind of what I just hit on is a big one. Um, it's it's pretty simple. I mean, they have to make their jump shots. Uh, I don't think 
this series is going to go very well if they uh, aren't making a high enough clip of their jump shots. Obviously, like I, I really believe that they're going to be better, but uh, the Bucks haven't actually been a very good jump shooting team this postseason. I can't necessarily speak to all of their jump shots, but I mean, the first round they uh, only shot thirty two percent from deep, thirty two point seven. They were at thirty eight point nine in the regular season, third in the league. Uh, that's from deep. Um, and uh, they don't need to shoot that well in the postseason. And three-point shooting generally goes down in the postseason uh, in terms of volume and percentage. Uh, but also uh, it, it's 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 interesting with, with crowds coming back right now because you, you've talked about, we've talked about for the last year or so, like, oh, it's a lot easier to shoot threes when there's a good shooter's background when there aren't, you know, there aren't fans in the stands or there's no, uh, you know, crowd psyching you out, things like that. So is, you know, are, can we not rely on the Bucks being a good three-point shooting team anymore? Then all of a sudden, wow, that sounds a lot like the last two postseasons when they had a lot of trouble shooting the three. And it really did them in, in especially that Toronto series two years ago. So, um, I mean, it distills down to something just that simple. I mean, they have to, they have to make more of their jump shots, especially from behind the arc. I don't think they really need to change too much that they're doing defensively. Um, it's just that the role players and the people around Giannis, I mean, <laughs> to play to, I, I think they came up last night. It's like, you know, to, to be a good player or, or next to Giannis, the main thing you have to do is, is hit your threes, hit your jump shots. Um, you're not effective as a, play around Giannis if you're not doing that so uh Giannis was great last night it wasn't his best effort against the Nets but I'm thinking you know that's going to be about what we get from him this this series um I hope and uh if they can get something a lot better a lot closer to what they got against Miami from uh Milton and Holiday they still can win this series they still could win it in you know, five or six games, uh, maybe, um, they need to win one on the road. Uh, game five is always a big, a big game in postseason series. If it's a tie series, the winner of game five wins it 82% of the time. So, um, they have a lot that they can, that they can clean up. They, I think it, you know, in some ways it's good that they lose game one in this type of fashion because it really highlights a lot of the issues that maybe would have been masked otherwise by a win. Right. And that's a great point. Cliche, make your jump shots. For me, it's, I don't care about the percentage, but you need to be in that sweet spot against Brooklyn where you're hitting at least, you know, a minimum of 12 threes, regardless of how many attempts you have. You just need to be knocking down those shots from the perimeter, especially when you have those open looks, which is what the Bucks didn't do in game one. But Giannis is so great, but his ceiling is capped because he can only be so good as the players around him. And if guys like Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday aren't really, you know, providing much offensively, then, you know, what what more can the Bucks do? So it's really going to come down to you're going to need Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday to revert back to regular season levels. Also, you know, they both played very, very well all um, four games in the sweep against the Heat, you know, they don't need to, you know, I don't think Chris Middleton or like Drew Holiday, they don't need to play like above that level. Obviously, it would be super nice if they did that. But you just need a little more. 
it's not like you need to overhaul, like Van said. You don't need to overhaul a lot of what you're doing defensively. Although offensively, I would like to see them, like we all said, play at a little more of a calm, calmer pace, not play into Brooklyn's hands with the ISO ball, you know, just get the ball and run down, take the first open shot. Would love to see, you know, passing up a good shot for an even better shot. And like you said, Adam, I would love to see the Bucks to continue to exploit these mismatches. And, you know, for Brooke Lopez, this is kind of an odd series, which, you know, he has a great mismatch, you know, offensively, but defensively, he's kind of like been caught in this no man's land in the drop where, you know, do you step up on Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving when they're coming off screens in the mid range, or, you know, do you just drop back, get a rebound? So, you know, I don't think the Bucks are going to, the Bucks have shown that they're not really going to change that. So I think we can really expect to see Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving get those shots in the mid range, which, you know, for me, like, I'm not a coach, you know, I'm no basketball savant or wizard, but for me, like, you can't just let Kevin Durant walk into these mid-range shots. He's made his millions off that. That's his bread and butter right there. But, you know, if James Harden, I'm not going to change my pred- prediction, but if James Harden is out for the rest of the series, which, you know, no doctor here, but which it looks like it's sort of trending, that way, you know, the Bucks need to take advantage. And thankfully, this was, this was only game one, and this wasn't, you know, like, game three or game four where the Bucks are now, you know, down two to one or something like that, which it was discouraging to see them not take advantage of James Harden's absence. But like I said, it's only game one. Now the Bucks have some film and, you know, they know what to do and which mismatches to further exploit and what to really expect going into game two without James Harden, because I am assuming I'm like 99.9% sure they're game planning to you know, go into game two just without James Harden. Should be interesting no matter what. I think that's the most important point. It's just game one. So there's still lots of time in this series. We'll have to see how the Bucks bounce back. And you can go to brewhoop.com for all of our usual coverage. Uh, we'll have pieces there previewing game two as well. And uh, I follow us on Twitter. Share the podcast with your friends. I really want to thank Van and Andrew for joining me this week and filling in. Thanks, fellas. Let's uh, let's hope for a, a more exciting and positive game two from the Bucks. So. Yep. Uh, Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll talk to you again next week.